Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. Today, Mayor Lori Lightfoot gave her first budget address before city council. Our 2020 budget developed $150 million in savings uh, and efficiencies through an approach known as zero-based budgeting. We also saved $200 million through debt refinancing. This budget also saves an additional $25 million by moving to a new system that ensures payments are expedited and more companies are brought into compliance. This budget restructures some of our city departments, ensuring taxpayers get the greatest value for their dollars while still receiving the highest quality service. This budget reforms our public safety agencies by streamlining the administrative functions of our police, fire, and OEMC departments into a single agency. If you missed it, we're dropping the entire speech as a bonus podcast today. But this podcast is all about breaking it down. Lightfoot laid out her plan for filling the city's massive $838 million budget gap. There were cuts, like restructuring some city departments, reforming the city's TIF districts, and debt refinancing. There were also plenty of ideas for new revenue, from changes to the real estate transfer tax, casinos, a congestion tax on Uber and Lyft rides, increased parking fees downtown, the coming recreational marijuana industry, and more. One idea she didn't propose, a big property tax hike for homeowners and business owners. We didn't solve our $838 million budget gap with a large property tax increase in 2020. And folks, that's good news. Joining me now to analyze Mayor Lightfoot's spending proposal, we have David Greising. He's CEO of the Better Government Association. Ralph Martiri, Executive Director of the Center for Tax and Budget Accountability. And Jaime Dominguez, Professor of Political Science at Northwestern University. Hi, everybody. Thanks for being here. Uh, so we heard a mix of spending cuts and new revenue, but no property tax. David, your impressions of this budget speech and the mayor's plans and the way she's framing this budget as an equity budget? Well, that was an important theme for her election to begin with, and she has stuck to it. And in addition, to in the background, you've got the unveiling a day or two ago about this big uh, Southwest investment program where she says she's going to channel $750 million of city investment toward those very overlooked neighborhoods. So this is something she's hitting hard on. And it's partly to kind of make people more sympathetic to the pocketbook hit that they are going to take. Yes, she has avoided a property tax for now, uh, although she has said 
prior to this that she can't guarantee that really until she knows the outcome of some negotiations in Springfield. But the direct hit to people's pockets will come in the form of the real estate transfer tax that she's proposing, which also needs to pass in Springfield. That's $50 million. Another $20 million from food and restaurant increases tax, basically doubling that from 0.25% to 0.5%. And then the rideshare fee of $40 million of revenue. Those are all pocketbook issues for people. But compared to that concern that people have had about a property tax increase, these are the sort of taxes that you pay kind of a pay-as-you-go basis. They're probably small enough that you won't see a big revolt like you might have had she been proposing a property tax. Well, and just explain some of the things she has to get sign off from Springfield on. What's interesting here is I don't see a line item for any casino revenue. Mm-hmm. And she needs help from the state in order to make a casino in Chicago a worthwhile investment for a private investor. Uh, That was expected to be a fairly significant amount of money with the big upfront licensing fees as well as the ongoing uh, revenue from a casino. So that's one. The other is this graduated real estate transfer tax. She needs uh, help in Springfield to get that passed. And that's a pretty big... part of her plan. $50 million is a lot of money. Now, Ralph, two of the biggest savings here, $200 million in debt refinancing and $150 million in savings through something called zero-based budgeting. And that probably flew over a lot of people's heads. Can you just explain those measures the mayor says she's taking? Well, she was able to get a lower interest rate on a bunch of debt that city has, and then she front-loaded all the savings. So the good news is she gets $200 million in savings this year that she can claim. The better news, I guess, is that she didn't extend the payment period. So the payment period is going to remain where it is now, but there won't be future savings from that. So if you front load all the savings this year, that means there's a $200 million hole in next year's budget because you've claimed that savings. You can't claim it again. So it is setting up a little bit of a hole for next year's budget. And I think what her rationale behind that is, is, look, there is this casino on the table. There are some other big money options on the table. So, you know, basically we'll jump off that bridge when we get to it, which is which is the right way to go. <laughs> so th- that's one thing on the debt refinance. Zero-based budgeting, what you do is you ask all your department heads and all your agencies is to start as if they had no money coming in and build their budget. What do they absolutely need to go forward? It's a, it's a way to impose a little discipline on the budget process. Most people are int- are more familiar with sort of the line item approach mm-hmm. where this year you got $100 and after inflation next year you expect to get $105 or whatever. And so you see incremental growth without ever any justification for the positions or the expenditures. So zero-based budgeting, it's actually very good budget policy when a new administration comes in to ensure that you really have justifiable expenses across the board. That's number one. And number two, that's a true structural savings, right? So that is something that should continue on into future budgets. So that's very good news. And that's the kind of approach, that's the kind of rational approach you're going to want to take. You mentioned the casinos. I'm glad that she didn't put casino money in here, number one. We don't know what the tax structure is really going to end up being. We don't know what the fee structure is going to be. And even if all that gets through Springfield and they figure out something that's rational where the casino industry itself is going to be interested in coming in and operating it, the next thing is, well, you might get the upfront licensing fees, but you're a good two to two and a half years at best away from generating any revenue. You've got to build the thing. And then you've got to hire the people and you've got to put it in place. So I think it was very responsible, quite frankly, for 
for her to avoid putting casino revenue in this budget. It, it was the right thing to do. I think she's hopeful of getting that, and I'm assuming she's hopeful of getting that for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is, okay, we've got this $200 million hole that's going to happen because she's not going to have the savings from debt refinancing next year, number one. But number two, her pension costs are going to continue to ramp up. They're going to ramp up by another $530 million before the end of her first term. And in fact, next year, the year-to-year growth will be $117 million over this year's level. The year after that, it's going to grow by $360 million. So she's got some significant revenue costs coming her way. And if you look at the revenues that feed the corporate fund, and we have, they've been flat after inflation since 2009. There's not really a lot of large economic taxes that feed the city's corporate fund. The biggest one, I would guess, is the sales tax, which only covers 17% of the revenue in that fund. I mean, I want to hear from you. I want to know what stood out for you in the budget, but also, you know, there's a political question here, and that's whether or not the the mayor can get 26 votes to support this budget. Where do you think she stands? Well, I think what was important, uh, my takeaway is when she mentioned how she, this budget is closely aligned with the city's values. And I think that she was very on point in terms of speaking to the various, uh, sectors of the city and the important assets of the city, and that is people. So she talked about the elderly. She talked about families. Uh, she talked about violence prevention programs. She talked about mental health. So I think she's micro-targeting in that regards. We think about where she's at in terms of her administration. I think she has the political capital right now, given she came off of overwhelmingly trouncing um, Preckwinkle. And so you know, she ha- she does have, I think, leverage to propose some of these are our broad propositions. But as my colleagues were saying at the, on the panel, it's all going to be determined on in terms of her support going forward, whether or not these the expectation in terms of the revenues that she's supposed to generate um, actually turn out uh, the way she expects it. Well, let's hear a little more about the mayor's plans on spending cuts. Our 2020 budget developed $150 million in savings. Uh, inefficiencies through an approach known as zero-based budgeting. We also saved $200 million through debt refinancing. By improving how we collect the debt we are owed, this budget also saves an additional $25 million by moving to a new system that ensures payments are expedited and more companies are brought into compliance. This budget restructures some of our city departments, ensuring taxpayers get the greatest value for their dollars while still receiving the highest quality service. And as we announced earlier this month, this budget reforms our public safety agencies by streamlining the administrative functions of our police, fire, and OEMC departments into a single agency. In preparing our budget, we ask every department to take a hard look at their vacancies in order to find more efficient ways to streamline their workforce without significantly impacting services. And the result? Another $20 million in savings without layoffs. So Mayor Lightfoot estimating about $537 million in savings and efficiencies. That includes $19.7 million in vacancy reduction and uh, reallocation of positions, $200 million in debt refunding, um, improved revenue collection, $25 million. That's just a few of the things. Your thoughts on, on some of these cuts she's planning. I'll come to you first, Ralph. Well, you know, everybody likes to attack elected officials for doing things that are irresponsible or whatever. In this case, you have a mayor that's actually approaching her budget the right way. I mean, she's she's done an analysis to say, all right, 
We don't have enough revenue to cover all our expenditures for the coming year. Where can we save money as a city without harming on-the-street services that people really care about, police, fire, streets, and sands? So that was challenge A. And and we already talked about zero-based budgeting, real good government approach to that. The debt refunding, well, you know, it does – it's a one-timer. It's a lot of money this year, but it's 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 a whole next year. The other savings from administrative costs, et cetera, are good. Go get them. I mean, uh, how many people have complained that the city of Chicago is loaded with patronage jobs, is, is top-heavy, has too many administrative jobs? So to the extent that she's taking a real a real strong look at those things and saying, you know what, we don't need these administrative positions or we could get the same level of administrative oversight and coverage that we need with fewer positions through this combination. That's all appropriate. And in fact, it's a really good approach to dealing with the budget problem, number one. We'll see if her numbers bear out, number two. But I appreciate the fact that she took that approach and it is the right approach to take. You know, you talked about a little bit she needs some approval from Springfield. You know, the real estate transfer, that's not just $50 million this this year. That's $100 million she's right. counting on next year. So, you, you know, know, with the rise in the pension costs and you have $100 million in next year's revenue at risk without Springfield asking, you have another $200 million hole from the debt refinance. Suddenly next year, if they don't get the Springfield approval, there's a $300 million hit on the revenue side, and there's $117 million growth on the pension side. Now you're talking about a $400 million hole again. David, jump in here. Yeah. When I hear a speech like this, I like to look both at what's there and what's not there. And as we've said, she needs approval in Springfield for some of these provisions. But some of the things that had been discussed in the run-up to the speech that are not there is, one is she's not going to be closing TIF districts, as some people had expected. There was some talk of closing, sunsetting up to five different TIF districts. And so that is not going to happen. And so that's some revenue that has been foregone in deciding to keep those TIF districts operating. There also had been talk about she's going to try to raise parking meter rates and capture some of the increased revenue from increased parking rates. In the West Loop specifically. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. and that's contractually would have been a big challenge for her. And maybe upon looking at the contract with uh, the parking meter company, she decided that was a fight she didn't want to at least bank for right now. There's one other thing that she's not doing that I think is a, a very good thing. She is refinancing the debt, as as Ralph talked about, but she's not doing this trick of scoop and toss where you refinance by extending the debt, uh, the life of those bonds, by uh, really backloading the payments, et cetera. That's something that Mayor Richard Daly did a lot of, and Rahm Emanuel did it for a while, and then after uh, 2015, he said he was going to stop. She did not come back with that sort of kind of budget sleight of hand. And so this is pretty responsible for what we're seeing so far, a fairly responsibly drawn budget. Well, Jaime, it's interesting. The mayor talked about um, raising revenue through $40 million of new revenue from this rideshare tax. And and she kind of called out rideshare company owners in that part of her address. Break that down for us. She's basically governing from an accountability standpoint, right? She was actually elected for that. She was also elected to be fiscally responsible. So I think she actually is doing that. And I also think she's just trying to level the sting, the financial sting that the city has to face. And so she feels that, particularly with the rideshare companies, right, that they haven't been held accountable. Right, and that she is going to be the mayor of, of holding businesses, particularly who want to do business in Chicago, hold them accountable, particularly if there's not a lot of oversight. Right, So that's been a big issue with the rideshare companies also, uh, comparing them to the taxi industry. Right, So this is a way to just bring them into the loop of saying, listen, if you want to do business with Chicago, 
uh, we're going to hold you responsible and we're actually going to level this tax. And obviously that's going to disproportionately affect those uh, residents that use those services. Uh, but again, I think for her, it's just a question of everybody has to take responsibility as we move forward in terms of being sure that as a city, we deliver the services that we need. We're uh, responsible in making financial decisions. And listen, you know, not everyone's going to get what they always want. But at least in this address, I think she's trying to do that as best as possible. And listen, no one's going to be happy. Uh, that's just how it is in, in politics. But I think so far, um, I thought this was a good delivery of her budget. Ralph, I want you to explain one uh, revenue projection. She's making $163 million from emergency services reimbursement. Explain that line. Item. I'm not entirely sure what she's, where she's going mm. there. I mean, this was a new one on us, and I, I wanted to, I'd like to ask the administration where they're getting that money from and who's doing the reimbursing. It could be... It could be from, who knows, Cook County or whatever, whatever. I don't know who she's going to be asking to reimburse her, but yeah. this is not something that uh, I received any sort of advanced briefing on. And David, so not, any that, that, was, that was quick the, answer the biggest it. surprise of this yeah. speech, that number, and that's not an insignificant number either. So um, we have a lot of questions uh, for the, the mayor's office about that particular revenue and, line. And yeah. if you notice during the speech, you just gave a line to it. Right. And we're going to get $163 million <laughs> from emergency expense reimbursements. Now, moving on. So there was no explication given of it during the speech. There's really nothing in, in the write-up and, the, and nothing that we've seen in the material. So hard to, to say what all that's coming from. Now there, It's the largest amount as well. Right? Yeah. There, there are the, other changes embedded here that I'll, she also kind of passed by, which is the consolidation of public safety services. Yeah, right. that, yeah two public a, safety yeah. services. She actually mentioned it was the, just running through it here, the Department of Innovation and Technology with the Department of Fleet and facility management. There'll be a new uh, group. And then it's also public safety. There's going right. to be a new public safety organization that combines a right. bunch of departments. Police, yeah. fire, That one makes sense, although it's probably a lot more challenging than it just sounded as she ran by that in the speech. The one about fleet management and innovation and, and technology, those don't necessarily sound like very comfortable bedfellows. And so it'd be interesting to see how that works out operationally. I want to hear the mayor talk about TIFFs, because she spent some time talking about this and saving she sees there. This budget makes key reforms to Chicago's tax increment finance program, or what many people refer to as TIF. This year's additional surplus to the city is $31.4 million. But more than that, my team is undertaking a detailed review to reform TIF and align it more closely with our economic development needs and our values, accountability, and transparency. The days of the TIF slush fund are over. Okay, so she's estimating $31.4 million in additional TIF. One-time revenue. One-time yeah. revenue. So I feel like every time we talk about TIFs, we need a little bit of a primer on it, Ralph. So just explain how she's coming up with this number. Well, so there's going to be a surplus de- declared of undedicated TIF revenue, which means revenue that's there but is not targeted to specific projects. And then every taxing authority that's a governmental taxing authority that has an interest in that. So it'd be the park district, the city, the schools, the county would get their percentage share of this revenue. And the city's percentage share works out to 31 million. Uh, CPS will get some, et cetera, et cetera. That's the good news. And it's, you know, she didn't put on the table what reform she was going to specifically push to eliminate the slush fund yeah. that TIFs have traditionally been and that there's been a lot of action around. I know, Dave, your group's been very interested in TIFs. My organization, we just testified on 
TIF reform to the state level. I think one really good thing that could happen is we could end the practice of migrating TIF money from one TIF to a contiguous TIF district. I mean, that is so non-transparent. It, it so violates the intention of the law that I think uh, it, hopefully she will push for that. But there's a lot of other things, too. I mean, it's so easy now to satisfy the, the test for having a blighted area uh, that we need, we need to rethink it. California recently had some very rational TIF legislation that passed, which tied declaring future TIF districts to areas that are concentrated low income or concentrated high crime. Hard to argue that it's difficult to economically develop areas with concentrated low income or concentrated high crime. So it was a much better but for standard and, and, and certainly something that I think the city could follow because we know a lot of Michigan Avenue is TIFed and I'm, I'm, hard, I'm hard, hard put to find the, the blight on Michigan yeah, Avenue unless you can. Yeah, that's always too how Michigan Avenue is actually a designated area. But for me, I thought in terms of the the tips. I mean, I think she had to address that, particularly with what's happening right now with the the strike, and that's been, you know, a very contentious issue. It's been a political grenade to the extent that um, the ways in which it has um, um, disproportionately favored uh, developers, and not necessarily, you know, in, in theory, it, it's a great idea, but in, in practice, it hasn't actually manifested as as one would expect. And we are talking about a city that's really bleeding financially, and you know, you really have to make tough choices about. Um, um, where the resources are going to be, particularly when it comes to schools, you know, I think she, um, it was tough for her not to address that. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about another revenue projection the mayor's making $23.6 million in revenue from uh, legalized marijuana sales and other revenue. That's kind of how it appears on, sure. on the infographic we have here. David, how wise is it to project income from cannabis sales? We know it rolls out January 1st, but how that's going to work, how much revenue is actually going to come from that. It seems like it's pretty much up in the air. Well, it does seem up in the air, and there are a lot of questions exactly, and and the mayor has had kind of a changing story on exactly how cannabis will roll out within the city. There had been some talk initially about no dispensaries uh, kind of in the central business district in River North, and now there seems to be some flexibility on that question. Um, The projections both for cannabis and for gambling uh, have kind of come out of somebody's sort of magic box, and we really won't know. The nice thing about cannabis is that, at least in that case, we do have some fairly reasonable measures of what demand is likely to be. And the real question is kind of how it will roll out, and especially also whether demand will be able to be met by the current sources of supply. What you're starting to see right now is a talk about a shortage in the actual production of marijuana and related products. And so one of the risky measure things about budgeting this amount, it's unclear whether you will have enough uh, weed on hand in order to kind of (laughs) achieve this kind of tax revenue. And other states that have gone to legalize marijuana or legalize sports betting have all over-projected the estimated revenue that these items would generate and have been disappointed in their budget returns. Don't know if this is an over or underestimate. I mean, obviously, she needs a plug-in figure. I mean, right. it, it is the reality. It's going to happen. And so it's rational for her to budget some revenue. You just have to look at whether or not her assumptions were rational for, for coming up with this figure. It could be. It's not a huge number. No. So even if she's off by something there, I don't think it's really going to dramatically impact things. But here's the one thing that everyone talks about, but I don't think they quite get. The mayor made a, a strong point of saying, we're finally back on the arc. I've got enough money to get into it this year, blah, blah, blah. That's great. 
The problem is it's going to rise, that is the pension payment, 31 percent over the next three years. There's no revenue source that's going to rise 31 percent. And in fact, her revenue source has been flat. If you look at this ramp that Springfield passed a few years ago, it has grown the pension payment the city has to pay by 269 percent since 2009. So I think part of a long-term solution is a rational reamortization of that debt because every taxpayer dollar spent on debt service to the pension systems is a taxpayer dollar that's not available for police, fire, streets, sand, homelessness, mm-hmm. affordable housing, mental health, name it. So the debt structure doesn't seem to be reasonable. Jaime, your thoughts yes. here? Yeah, no, I just want to go real quickly to the, the whole cannabis thing. Um, you know, there's also a, a political uh, dimension to that in terms of access, right? And that's been something that uh, the city council has actually been debating in terms of who actually, this, is a, this might be a new opportunity for you know, on, entrepreneurs. And the question is, who's going to have access to that? Uh, and she talked about how you know, uh, black and brown communities have disproportionately been, you know, uh, because of the criminalization of, of, of marijuana, have been locked up disproportionately. So I think there's several councilmen and um, herself probably are thinking that they have to make sure that with this potential new stream of revenue, right, that black and brown people actually have aren't locked out. Right. So I, I think that that's going to be a big part of the discussion as they move forward, let alone having to deal with the, the revenue streams. That's Jamie Dominguez of Northwestern University, Ralph Martiri of the Center for Tax and Budget Accountability, and David Grising, the CEO of the Better Government Association. Again, we've dropped Mayor Lightfoot's complete budget speech into your podcast feed if you want to hear it in its entirety. Meanwhile, we'll be back again tomorrow with another Reset. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.